Listen, tensions are running high today. And usually that would be the case after the company-wide meeting because, you know, if your company's like our company, like most companies, meetings can kind of suck. And so there's there's some tensions in here, and I think it's just more of a coiled kind of tension, I guess, might be the best way to describe it because <laughs> when you don't accomplish what you want to accomplish, it's just kind of frustrating. So PJ's feeling it a little bit today. It's a little bit of everything. You okay? Uh, I'm. I'm. Let's let's talk some stuff. PJ Zuko. I'm good. Isn't always this lighthearted, <laughs> fun co-host. He actually has a big boy job. Yeah. Because this is not work. This is just us talking about sports. This is. I mean, it's work for sure. But it, at the same, like, it's entertaining. It's fun. You know. Uh, it's probably like. Like you actually have to work a vast majority of the time. But that's the other thing too is like that's the joy of of kind of being in a co-host role, which like I, uh, that's you get to come on here and react. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So like you, I will say you have the much more jobby portion of this show, but you also enjoy it. Like I know as as being a host of like some of the high school stuff, like high school first look, high school sports roundup, is that more work trying to? Figure out the scores, trying to figure out what happened, trying to talk. Oh no, yeah, this is definitely sure. my favorite because this is my therapy session. Like with but those, it's also enjoyable. Yeah, with right? those, like, yeah. with those, you guys have structure and like you have to like stick to certain points and like you can't go like true uh, off yeah. the beaten path too much. Like if you start talking about, I don't know, what are some of the things we talked about yesterday? Art Riles during high school first look. Some of the coaches yeah. might be like, "The hell are we doing here?" But right, what are you talking about? But anyway, no. So so we're just gonna try. We're gonna have some fun today. We don't want to let PJ's yeah. tensions spill out over the airwaves. <laughs> that sounds like a good Because everybody else comes here, and they don't want more stress. Right. No, absolutely not. So we're going to have some fun today. We're going to talk about Wilt scoring 100, because Cam seems to think not quite as impressive as everybody else seems to think it is. I just asked him about three different things. Like, are these more impressive? And he was like, yes. <laughs> On really? all of those. Yeah. And I, I think it's one of those things where it's like one of those hallowed numbers, but when we go back to it, and there's some people in the car that are absolutely yelling at us right now, because you're like, you damn youths. Like this, like I think it's one of those things where Wilt was maybe stunting on some dudes that wouldn't be able to play at the local Y. No, right? <laughs> no, it, it's it's bad. No. So we'll dive into that a little bit. Also, uh, State of the Union, college football edition. We'll get to that. You, you had me worried there for yeah, a second. We'll, was, yeah, we're just we're playing just live. Like, we're playing live audio <laughs> from Latin. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna do a little college football State of the Union. But I did want to start here, uh, sticking with college football. When you guys think about the best teams in the country, I think the top three are pretty much chalk for everybody, just like however you want to put them out there. Who would you guys have right now, top three teams going into 2022? Want to go first? I think it's just the same as it has been for the last like five years or so. Um, you, you might Kinda. be surprised at, at who I have there. I, I don't know. Uh, but... It's it's been Alabama, Clemson, and honestly, Georgia to me for for three or four years. And I know yeah. Georgia broke through, won the national championship this year, but for four or five years now, it's been those three. Uh going into this year, obviously Georgia, Alabama, then I put Ohio State. Yeah, they they're loaded. Um, Understand that kid at wide receiver, C.J. Stroud. They had that freshman phenom at running back. Travion Henderson, yeah, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, Marvin will, Harrison. I the, might call them Marvin Harrison the third. Marvin Harrison the third. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I might go as far as calling them if Alabama isn't the favorite. 
I would put Ohio State ahead of Georgia just because they have a lot. Well, we're gonna we're gonna come back to Ohio ahead. State, but anyway, so those are the top three teams in the country. And ESPN.com uh, with their college football staff put out a like the the biggest offseason concerns and things that need to be addressed. Obviously, Georgia's was replacing all the talent that they're about to lose to the NFL draft. Mm-hmm. Kind of serendipitous. You you have the most guys uh, invited to the combine. 14, which takes place in Indianapolis, where you just won your first national championship. Uh, so those, all those guys need to go back out there and work out on the field uh, in which they won the first national championship for Georgia since 1981. Uh, but after that, Texas A&M actually comes in at number four, and they're losing some people, but also have a whole lot of talent back and probably upgrading at the quarterback position. Uh, last year it was Haynes King and Zach Calzada. Zach Calzada is now at Auburn. They add Max Johnson from LSU. And they have a big-time freshman, Connor Wegman, coming in, uh, who is ESPN's number one quarterback. I know Cade Kubelik uh, over at Clemson was a lot of people's number one. but So Texas A&M, very good. After that, pretty surprising the rest of the top ten to me. And this is just kind of an early look at what the field could look like going into 2022. Michigan remains inside the top five, which they have a whole lot coming back. And maybe... But maybe it's just yeah you're losing Aiden Hutchinson, David Njabo, and Daxton Hill. And Haskins, uh, yeah, 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 Haskins. Uh, Hawkins, Haw- Hawkins, Haskins or Hawkins for the running back. Oh, I was talking about the safety. Oh, I was talking about yep. yeah the running back. Okay, <laughs> okay, good, good. There good. we go. We, okay, we just killed We're two good. birds with one stone. There you go. Cool. So you're losing a whole lot, but more so than that, I think it was just like how badly they got humbled on the national stage as to why I was surprised to see them at number five. But it is what it is. Uh, number six is Notre Dame, which again to me semi surprising. But you have a first time, uh, yeah, first time head coach coming in to take over there, and Marcus Freeman, who was the defensive coordinator at Cincinnati two years ago, yeah, and that's quite the meteoric rise for him. Uh, but also replacing a bunch of people, and uh, Kyron Williams probably the biggest loss from there. Travis Mayer or Mayer, the tight end is really good, but that's interesting. Utah's number seven which is another team that has lost just a ton of talent, Devin Lloyd being the biggest one. And then how about NC State? Wow. Coming in at number eight. Really? Ahead of Clemson? Dang. I don't know who's coming back for NC State. Well, Devin Leary, the quarterback, is coming back, and they return a ton of players all over that team. But more so than that, it's kind of how they finish. Remember, they beat Clemson last year. Yeah, but eight? Yep. Then Oklahoma State comes in at number nine. Okay. Which, interesting because it's not the Oklahoma State teams of the past last year where it was all offense and then holding on on defense. It was Uh. was a defense-led team. And then they go out and they still Auburn's defensive coordinator. Yeah. And so it's just... That's pretty nice. I mean, listen, you can go and add Derek Mason to your staff. Honestly, like, I'm kind of surprised they're, they're that low with the teams that are in front of them. Well, I mean, but then and then Michigan State rounds out the top ten. Clemson's at eleven, okay. and what I found fascinating about Clemson is uh, DJ Uyunglele. He had nine touchdown passes last year. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, nine, like didn't, five didn't against break Notre Dame or yeah. something. Yeah, <laughs> a couple of years ago, nine touchdown passes. But so as we look at this, I really what I want to talk about here is is are we looking at another chalk season where it's all right? We there's like six teams. Where we know they're gonna, four out of six of them are gonna make it to the college football playoff. I will say this because like Cincinnati's ranked like nineteenth, like they kind of missed. I, I don't even want to say they missed their window. That's not fair. They made the college football playoff as the first G five school 
to make the college football playoff. Actually, uh, Houston is ranked inside the top 15 here. So it's probably not going to see a G5 school make the playoff here. Is this just another year where we're looking at it and saying, all right, well, let's go Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and throw in one more team. Fill in the fourth. Michigan. Yeah. I, I, right? I actually think it will, but I think it would be a little bit more competitive with the top three. Um, I think Ohio State, Georgia, or Alabama, either of those three can win it all. I mean, all that talent Ohio State has coming back, but – I agree with you. I think it's just another chalk season. That's why I wish they would kind of like expand it to try just make it a little bit more interesting. Yeah. But I agree. I don't know who would be the top four team. Well, but here, I know those here's are where I think bad. it gets interesting because I don't know how how good Georgia's going to be. They're going to be really good. Mm-hmm. Like they're clearly a top five team in the country, right? Offensive line is going to be really good. Defensive line, if things work out the way they're supposed to, maybe takes a little bit of a step back. It's not going to be as dominant as it was last year, but it'll still be one of the top two or three defensive lines inside of college football. Linebacker, you have to take a step back. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. you you have to. And I understand Georgia goes out and recruits five-star of mutants to play inside linebacker. And there's some dudes who played last year who made some splash plays and some cleanup time. But you don't go from N'Kobe Dean and Quay Walker to underclassmen and say, yeah, it's fine. Secondary might, I'd say, even be a little bit improved this year, which last year we didn't really see them get tested too often until you got to the SEC Championship just because that front seven was so good. They'll get tested more. That's my thought on on that is like you, like you said, it's it's destined like you're going to take a bit of a step back on linebacking core, but in that sense, you hope that another core steps up. And to me, that would be the secondary. Of course, the, the defensive line will be solid as well. But Yeah, Jalen I mean, Carter that, might be the best football player on that defense. Right. Right, and, and he's and that's back the for special his junior year. Yeah, about as Kirby Smart, uh, Kirby Smart has said in the past, that's the special thing about recruiting well and having these programs that are you always just in the top both five. Both Georgia, like both Georgia <laughs> coaches, Kirby Smart, Kirby Mark. <laughs> something like that. I don't, it's been a day, man. Uh, but that, that's the special thing about being able to recruit that well is, you know, like you said, they they didn't have to rely on that secondary an insane amount last year. But then again, maybe if they progress, they get better. Maybe next year they are. The, the focal point of this defense, yeah. and we'll, we'll see about that. Um, and, and you're going to need a really good secondary with with the kind of talent um, around the SEC at wide receiver and at quarterback. But uh, that that also is kind of my thing when it comes to like Clemson and, and Alabama. I'm surprised at how low Clemson is because I'm if not. you look at the recruiting rankings and things like that, like they got guys still coming in that that they can do it. So like I don't know. Um, I think. Back to your original point, I think, and this might sound really silly but and, and simple, it'll be chalk until someone steps up and it isn't, right? Like, well, I, th- I think the number four team can really throw a wrench in everything, and that's Texas A&M because just hypothesis, right, theoretical. We just talked about Georgia maybe taking a step back. Their schedule ain't very hard mm-hmm. next year. They should be favored by double digits in a majority of the football games they play. Don't have to play LSU. Don't have to play Alabama. You got to play Auburn, but you get that one at home, and it's an Auburn program that's kind of reeling right now. So maybe your toughest game on the schedule is Oregon and Florida. Maybe uh, what at Mississippi State, and we just we don't know how good yeah. Mississippi State's going to be. So theoretically, Georgia ninety percent chance they make the SEC championship. Say seventy percent chance, just because you're going to lose a game at some point, they get there undefeated, right? Just with that schedule. That Texas A&M-Alabama game, what, week five, is going to be huge because there's a distinct chance you have an undefeated team 
that makes it out of the West, and then you have a one-loss team that's sitting there that their only loss is to an undefeated team, probably number one team in the country. Because if Texas A&M beats Alabama and goes undefeated, they're going to be the number one team in the country going into the SEC championship. So that's when all of a sudden this 12-team college football playoff not getting pushed through can become real rough because you could have two undefeated SEC teams playing each other in the SEC championship. At the end of the game, you could have an undefeated conference champion, a one-loss conference runner-up, and then a 11-1 team where their only loss could theoretically be to the SEC undefeated champion. Could this be the year? Where we see three schools. I'm not trying to talk that into existence. But it I'm could just saying be, yeah. someone's going to get left out, and they're going to have a legitimate argument for being like, "Why the hell did we get left out?" Yeah, I mean, you are right. I'm, I, I was thinking. I, I remember the COVID year um, when Texas A&M only loss was to Alabama. They didn't get in, so somebody's going to get left out. I don't think they're going to put three SEC teams in, like you said. But um, I will say this about Georgia, where they're you know getting weaker on the defense. You know, they're getting stronger on the offense, bringing back. Uh, you know, a good wide receiving crew. I think they yeah, lost Eric Gilbert coming and, back's big. Um, Pickens, but Eric Gilbert's going to be huge. And the emergence of Mitchell um, Smith, I think he's coming back. Aaron Smith that, should yeah, be back, Aaron yeah. Smith. So I think they'll be okay. And PJ, the office is going to be good. You talk about Clemson's recruiting, and I, I think it's fascinating circling back to Clemson here because Clemson's always been a team where they're more so about getting their guys than getting the guys, mm-hmm. right? Like, obviously, a Trevor Lawrence, right? Or Deshaun Watson. That's a little bit different, but when it comes to linemen and linebackers and in their corners, they target more program guys, and they're still some of the best guys in the country, but they target program guys and guys who fit their system because Dabo has a certain way of doing things at Clemson. They're number 10 this past year. Yeah. And you can still say it's a top 10 recruiting class, but I think in recruiting, much like in the rankings for the teams, is there's a really big difference between the fourth best recruiting class and the 10th best recruiting class. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and like you said, it's a bit of a step back, and uh, we'll, we'll, well see. We'll see where also, they are. like, well, yeah, yeah, we'll see also who who maybe fills that void if if Clemson does fall because they they are replacing a lot, right? And, and and not only players, but but like coordinators and, and things like that as well. So we'll see what that program does. But I think also with this whole three team SEC situation, and um, I, I still see Texas A and M, and I'm like, uh, I'm not 150 percent confident that. They make it over the hump. Oh yeah, they'll probably year, still right? lose. So, Ar- like, they'll probably still lose to Arkansas. But that's the thing. We'll have to see. Like I still remember a team that beat Colorado ten to seven. And sure, you won that game, whatever. But yeah, and like you said, lost to Arkansas. So do they drop a game that they have no business dropping? Maybe. Uh, does Alabama do that? I, I don't know. I, it's Alabama. Well, also last so year, I'm not remember, last year, that, remember, but, like uh, we were all saying, we we buried Ohio State too early. They're, they're probably the best team in the country. Look at how good these wide receivers are. Like nobody can stop them. And then, and then Michigan and came out and just like smacked them. But that, like, I think you're you're starting to get to the point that I'm trying to get to is as chalk as that could go with Texas A&M and Alabama and Georgia, and they're all sitting there. Let's remember that last year, outside of the SEC and outside of Georgia. It was one of the most insane years we've ever had. So, but also, I, think, I, I still think last year went pretty chalk because, like, I'm not trying to be like I said this because a whole lot of media members picked exactly what happened. They said Georgia and Alabama are the top two teams in the country. They're going to meet in the SEC championship. One of them is going to beat the other, but they'll both make it to the college football playoff and both play in the national championship. Like, they, a, a whole lot of media members said that. Sure. So it, it played out that way. So I'm thinking this year, you can already go ahead and say we know three of the spots are going to be filled up. 
possibly spill, filled Either up. Either two and, SEC and West teams. Be in contention for, for the spot to be filled up. Yeah. But like what I'm, I'm just talking about, you, you were talking about the three SEC team situation mm-hmm. and how that could possibly play out. And could we be sitting there on, on, you know, selection day saying, man, three of them could have a chance to get in here. I think that's also reliant though on other teams dropping games like they did this year. Like like you said, Ohio State, let's face it. Ohio State normally they drop one game. It's it's kind of a head scratch type Purdue. Of game. Yeah, right. And then they go on, they roll the rest of the schedule, they win the Big 10 championship by 20 points and they're in the college football. Yeah, that was Michigan's like, first win over them in what a decade. Exactly. So for like as chalk as 1 and 2 were and and I agree with you there, there was madness everywhere else as well. And I agree. So, so yeah, I'm I saying agree. if yeah, if we're going to have that situation where it's, you know, it can Texas A&M get in and Georgia and Alabama, well, we're going to have to have a, a similar situation as we did last year with the Big 12 championship going insane and, and having, you know, multiple lost teams in it. The Pac-12, well, let's face it, the Pac-12 hasn't shown up in years. You're not, you're not buying Caleb Williams, USC, beats by Dre? Absolutely not this year. 10-2. Right. No. They go 10-2. No. Exactly, I, I, they, but they're they, not going to be in contention. They ain't got it on the line. No, exactly, right? They're not going to be in contention. So, like, that's what I mean. But we're also probably going to have, let's face it, does, does Clemson really reel for, like, and if not, does someone I, else I, not step up in the ACC? I don't think Clemson gets better. So, like, no, I don't know if DJU even takes – he, I mean, is it a possibility he finishes out the season as their quarterback? I don't, I don't know. No, he's no, he's fighting for his job right now, and I don't know that Clemson's the best team in the ACC right now. Well, no, I I, who, it might be Wake Forest. I'm surprised they're low. Wake Forest, like, or like we just said, NC yeah, State. Considering like right. Wake Forest has everybody coming back, I think even the quarterback Sam. All Hart. right, well, listen, we're bringing up a lot of interesting points, which is going to lead us into our State of the Union for college football. We're going to come back. We're going to dive into it. We're going to break down some of the key fears and points and things we need to address, but some of the positive stuff too. You know why? Because we keep it light, and we're trying to get PJ to smile today. So we got so many more things to dive into today. It might be a Saquon Barkley mentioned somewhere just to try to get a smile out of him. Oh, get him out of New York. I saw, I saw his corners of his of his mouth move up a little, to bit. Trade him right a little bit. Trade him right See? Good. Yeah. See, PJ's eyes light up. Get him out of there. This is second down on ESPN continuing coverage of the State of the Union College Football <laughs> Edition way this is going to work, guys, is I am the concerned community. You guys represent college football. So I, as the credentialed media, the gathered press, have some questions for you that if you guys don't mind answering, we would really appreciate it. Am I making the money that they make? You know, those (laughs) Uh, higher-ups in college football. I'll be asking the questions here, sir. Do you want real answers? I'll be asking the questions here, sir. So we're going to start at the top of the list. Uh, recently, name, image, and likeness was introduced into the college football landscape. Some fans and coaches have concerns that this could be used to further widen the gap between the predominant programs inside of college football and those wishing to compete on the national scale. Should anything be done, guardrails put in place, to curtail the deals we are seeing put into place, or should they be remained open in the wild, wild west format that we have right now? I'll, I'll go. I say remain open. Only reason why I say that is it's been like that forever anyway. Um, I wouldn't say as far as like NIL and stuff like that, but it's 
been like that forever. It, Alabama's always had the advantage over whatever other school in Georgia and all those other schools. So it's nothing really different that I see that's going on. So I just say remain the same. So just to translate here as we go back to our studios, just to translate, Cam just said, as long as they're making money, <laughs> wins and losses don't matter. Alabama and Georgia are going to be there anyway. At least now the schools that go 7-5, and five, their kids can make some money. Pretty much, yeah. PJ, your, your, your response to the question? Uh, I would say, uh, you know, probably at some point we, sh- we should look into some guardrails, you know. Uh, we, we should look into some of those things because you're exactly right. Uh, I mean, it, you got to look out for the little guy to a certain extent uh, from, from time to time. And while we want to celebrate, of course, the fact that, yes, the bigger schools are able to go out and, and make their guys, who deserve, by the way, who okay. deserve what they're getting, you know, at the same time, you want to be able to keep it competitive. And at the end of the day, this uh, organization, this, this sport, college athletics in general, are about things being competitive. And if you walk out there every single week and it's 222 to nothing, well, go out and ask uh, Cumberland College how, how, how great that felt. And, and if we keep widening the gap and widening the gap and widening the gap, we might see that here from, from more, some of our more prominent college football teams or less prominent, of course, in this uh, argument and discussion. So, yeah, some some guardrails, not overreaching or or uh, you know, not not too much, but some. Yeah, I think that's good. So probably maybe at some point we should look at it just to go back to PJ's original uh, statement there. No, I mean so. we should, yeah, like we should, yeah. <laughs> Not, not probably what it... All right, yeah. uh, next, next point At on the point, agenda. some point, absolutely. Uh, also recently introduced was the removal of having to sit out for a year upon your first transfer throughout schools. And already we have seen the ramifications of this. Uh, you have players transferring interconference. You have players getting on campus, being there for two, three weeks, and already putting their names inside the transfer portal. Uh, some coaches have raised concerns that now... There's literally no break for them. Once they get done with recruiting players from high school, they're immediately on to self-recruiting and trying to keep players inside their own programs. Speaking of guardrails, should there be dates set forth in which players must declare whether or not they are transferring, and then once they get to that kind of a dead period where you're not allowed to transfer inside of that, or should there be any other guardrails put into place with the transfer portal? Um, I would argue that if said coaches are so insanely concerned with recruiting or not having to recruit or self-recruiting, thing, things like that, uh, they should probably get a job in the NFL or uh, some other form of, of football. So you're saying college coaches should have to work 365 days a year? Who, who, who else doesn't? Wait, what? Who, who doesn't do that? I, I certainly don't. <laughs> uh, I, I think that the program you have, well, I'm, I don't know. You can't keep every college football player. Like It's just how it is. Why did you, I say that? I, the question was, should there be guardrails put in place in terms of, like, when in, in regular recruiting, there's dead periods, and there's dates set forth when you're supposed to recruit and when you can enroll. Right. Right now in the transfer, you can transfer in the middle of the season. Yeah, are, are there dead periods on uh, when a coach can can quit and leave his job and accept another job? That's a great point. I don't think so. Um, so hey, I'll ask the questions here. 
that's the best way to argue something is just I learned it from uh or got what's it? Well, I don't know his name. Uh, <laughs> BJ Bennett. I don't know. <laughs> Never mind. No, it's Nick Offerman. I'm just forgetting oh. what his what his name is in Parks and Rec. Uh, but the best Ron way to argue Swanson. something, yes, the best way to argue something is asking a question back to whoever's asking the question. Well, but, I'll be asking the questions here. So I understand that. I think the program and the program, the stability, the kind of team that you build should speak for itself. And if someone doesn't want to be there anymore, bye. Cam? Uh, I agree. I don't think there's no need for guardrails. Um, what's the point? If coaches could leave in the middle of the season or if coaches could leave whenever they want, players should have the luxury to do that as well. Um, players are the one that play the sport. Coaches are not playing. You're coaching. Um, I just believe, you know, I, I love the fact that they removed that. I never thought it was a great idea to, you know, make players sit out for transferring. Do coaches sit out when they take a new job or – when they transfer to another school, I don't think it's bad for the sport. Um, now, if you do it for a second time and if you abuse it, then of course, yeah, sit out. You have to sit out for a year. Okay. If you want to transfer in the middle of the season, that's understandable. Maybe a coach lied to you or he promised you more playing time and you got there. And maybe you've produced but not enough, but you haven't got any playing time. Okay. Now leave. So I don't think there should be any guardrails. What kind of negative impact do you think or positive impact do you think not put, pushing through the 12-team playoff format could have? Ooh. Uh, I think it would be real negative um, not pushing because it's, I think it's bad for college football. If you look at all the other sports, NFL has now have what they have, a 14-team playoff, um, seven seeds on each side. Um, MLB, I don't think it's four teams. Obviously, it's not. And then you have um, NBA. Half the league makes the playoffs. Well, more than half now. You have 20 teams. Get a chance to make. What it about the, the fans who would argue that having the most elite playoffs in American sports is what makes your regular season the most dynamic and colorful of any sport in American sports? I, I love the fact that they say that because, in my opinion, if college football had a twelve-team playoff, in my opinion, the regular season would be better because more teams would like compete for like seeds, for instance. Top four seeds, they get home playoff games. Like teams would compete for that. Teams are not going to say, "Oh, we." But lost. is that is that as dramatic as you're literally playing for your life? Or well, I shouldn't say literally playing for your <laughs> playoff life. No, but also it gives you a sense of you still get to compete towards the end of the year. So those G five teams that people complain for now they get an opportunity. Those teams that finish third in the ACC, but uh, excuse me, G5 teams got opportunities this past year. Yeah, All I right. mean, they have, but those yeah. teams that finished third in barely. the ACC. Hey. One, barely. Hey, they barely. got an opportunity. Barely. 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 And they did that probably Did they get an opportunity and then immediately somehow magically get slated against Alabama? Sure. Did they but also, they been worse. Did they also have been to worse. have said opportunity on one of the most insane years of college football we've ever seen when it comes to top 25 teams losing? Losing, yeah. I mean, like, no. It, it will have a negative impact if it's not pushed through because it's had a negative impact on the sport for the last six or seven years. Let, let, let's be real. When the college football playoff was brought into existence, it was brought into existence the wrong way, and it's been frustrating and aggravating fans ever since then. Are we putting too much emphasis on crowning a national champion? Because prior to the college football playoff being introduced, college football was still... A hugely popular sport. 
since its induction. And for a very long time, there wasn't a system in place. It was just riders who were determining who the national champion was. And then you had the BCS system where computers and other voters determined who would go to the national championship. But the sport was still hugely popular, even with two teams competing for a national championship every year. It was hugely popular. Like you just said, it was hugely popular when writers were choosing the national champion. President sometimes. So at the end of the day, I think college football is, is going to be here and going to be here to stay, um, whether we're fighting for a national championship between 64 teams or not. And I, I don't think that should happen by any means, uh, but I think college football has built itself up to this point, and it's not simply uh, because of how they crown a national championship. Uh, I also think that if you ask the people back then that were rooting for college football, what are the, what their one of their biggest frustrations in the sport would be? It's it's yeah, how they chose that with writers and not being able to compete, and then you okay, then you can go out and compete for it. But it's just it's slowly progressed, and the re like the reasoning behind it progressing as slowly as it has it has been insanely frustrating, and I don't really get. Also, just because something is good enough for right now doesn't mean it's the best. Wow. Right? Wow. The college football playoff, has it See, been good? Camp, that's how you become a politician Has right it there. been good? Has it been fun? Sure. Has the BCS Was the BCS championship good and fun? We crowned a champion between one and two? Sure. Was it the best we could offer and the best we could have to, to really show who's the best team in the country? No. PJ said, get your brooms out. So we should keep fighting a mess. for the best, not just good enough. All right? Hey, I feel better. I feel better after this and day. Throw, of the it in, yeah. <laughs> throw it in next day. All right. All right. So we went out there. We got the two best teams. All right. All right. And then we said, what about the third best team? All right. <laughs> I, feel, I, feel, I feel better about this day. If you ask Nick Saban, it'd, it'd go back to a two team. But maybe go back to Nick Saban. Uh, you just go oh, back be to careful. choosing who do you be careful. Go back to choosing who do you think the best team is every single year. And every single year it would be Alabama, whether it's a preseason, postseason poll, midseason poll. It's always what it is. But as I've always argued with, I feel like, almost everyone in this office, it's about competition. It's about settling in on the field. Yeah, so right? so the regular season doesn't matter because that was on the field. No, of course it matters. That's how you fight your way into the playoff. Of course it matters. With some, you know, mulligans along the way, right? Not mulligans. Yeah, you got mulligans. Absolutely not. Yeah, because you, you can drop a stinker out there, but there's 12 teams, so like it's, you drop from third to sixth, you could probably lose one more and still be a top 12 team. How many, and I, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but how many undefeated national championships has there been in, in college football, especially over the past 20 to 25 years. I was saying, you can drop a stinker. I mean, there's there's been a few, right? But there hasn't been the majority. Sure. So I think you've been able to drop a stinker for a long, long time. <laughs> Please clip that audio. Okay. <laughs> I mean, he's Please right, clip, No, just, just PJ saying, I think you've been able to drop a stinker for a long, long time. Please clip that audio. We'll be right back. We got more to come here on second down after. Cam has no respect for his elders. I'm just going to come out and say it. This is second down presented to you by the uniform source. Pretty big anniversary today, Cam, that you're not that impressed by. I mean, I'm impressed by it. Still not the most impressive performance, though. All right, well, 60 years ago today, Will Chamberlain dropped 100 points. 100 points. Still the NBA record. And we're going to go through some single-game records. I know we always compare this with the quote-unquote unbreakable records like Cal Ripken's Iron Man streak and stuff like that, right? The, the unbreakable, it gets compared to a lot of career or season records. I want to compare it to other 
single game record. So the first one off the bat, oh, go ahead, PJ. I do have it. Like, are, are you going to, at the end of all this, you're going to ask him what he thinks is the most impressive? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Never mind. I'm not going to ruin that. But no, I'm just going to ask. I already it's, know. It. It's, it's, no, ni- I know. I it's just... 19 points less, but is Kobe's 81 point game yes. more impressive than Wilt Chamberlain dropping 100? Absolutely. Absolutely. Why? By far. I mean, he had guys that, for one, was his height matching up with him. <laughs> That's what <worth> they're. <laughs> That's one thing, and two, the team around him. He had absolutely, I, I want to say his best player was Kwame Brown. Um, His second best player was Kwame Brown, Smush Parker. Um, I think Kwame Brown got one point. one point that game. Yep, one point. And Smush Parker was like his second option. That's that one of my favorite Kwame Brown quote, quotes is Kwame said, yeah. yeah, me and Kobe got 82. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just more impressive if you look at the degree of difficulty. Um, and then there's a backstory. There's like his grandfather came to one game, and that was the one game he came to. That's pretty cool. I just think it's I think it's a little bit more impressive, and that was probably the hardest, in my opinion. 2000 2010 is the hardest era of basketball ever. Point blank, period. Not even close. All right, let me offer you some other ones. Uh, 1977, Reggie Jackson playing for the New York Yankees. Game six of the World Series. This is when you become Mister October. Three home runs. Hmm. On three pitches. The swing of the first pitch every time, three home runs. Is that more impressive than 100 points? That's impressive. I don't, mm, that's that's a good question. I think that's pretty impressive. I would probably say maybe, possibly on par because it's, uh, it's hard to hit a baseball in general. But to do it three times, three straight times for a home run, it's pretty impressive. I, I would say it's on par. PJ? What? What series was that in? Game six of the World Series. Yeah, that's that's more impressive. <laughs> Just the stakes as well. It's like I I, I think yeah. that plays a part. Finished with five it. RBIs in yeah. the game. Yeah, I mean that's that's massive, especially having the confidence to go out there and swing on the first pitch every time, and and have that. And you said game six, right? So yeah. like, I mean that's that's massive to me. So yeah, right, what I'd about, say more uh, impressive. Gale Sayers in his rookie season, going for six touchdowns. On the ground. Mm, how many yards? Uh, does not have that pulled up right here, but he did score six touchdowns. Uh, I would still say Wilt. I could put you at the one-yard line and you get six touchdowns. That's my thing. So. Like, Yeah, I'd put Wilt there too. And um, I mean, that's that's when the running game was dominating football as well. So. All right. What about Tiger Woods, 1997, at the Masters? Wilt. 18 under, yeah, 18 under par. One by 12 strokes. I know nothing about golf, but if you're 21 beating professionals, when I was 21, I was still in college, didn't know what was going on. You're beating professionals, the best in the world. I would just say Tiger because of his age. I always believe if you're breaking records at 21, you're one of the GOATs. Point blank, period. Again, yeah, it's it's his age. It's the gap between the two. Like if he was 18 under and the next guy was like 16 under, that'd be one thing. Yeah. But the the fact that he won by 12 strokes as well, just absolutely dominant. And it's not, right, it's it's like we talked about NASCAR like last week, right? It's it's not the NASCAR championship, but it's the Daytona 500. Sure. It's not the quote-unquote whatever PGA championship, but it's the Masters. Like, it's it's the biggest stage in golf, and you're able to go out there and do that. Uh, I'm all for uh, riding for some of these older performances, i.e., Bill Russell winning eight straight championships, oh. but uh, I, I'll go with uh, I'll go with Tiger Woods there as well. 
All right, final one, final one, and I, I know which way Cam's going to go on this. Michael Jordan scoring 63 points in the playoffs in 1986 against maybe the greatest team of all time with those Celtics with Larry Bird and four other Hall of Famers in the starting lineup. It's the most impressive sports performance ever. Like, ever. I mean, ever. I don't care if he lost. Is that more impressive than his flu game? Yes, because he was, he was in year two. He had only flu game played. was in the finals, though, right? Hmm? Blue game was in the finals, yeah, though. but Jordan was in year two. He only played 17 games, and he was coming off a broken ankle that year. And you're playing against your second-best player was like freaking Chris Oak. I mean, Charles Oakley, who Charles Oakley is not – he's an enforcer. He's not nobody that's sure. great. And the fact that you put up 63 points against – who it's a top-five team of all time, possibly top three, and those are like six Hall of Famers. You have three MVPs, Mikael, Walton – Bird on that team with two other Hall of Famers, okay. Harris and Johnson. I saved this one on purpose. I saved this one on purpose because I think it might be more impressive than Jordan's 63 points. Don Larson. You have no idea who that is. <laughs> no. 1956 in the World Series for the New York Yankees through the only perfect game in World Series history. Mm. That's nice, but no. No, bro. Perfect against the Dodgers. That means... No hits, no walks, nobody on base, no errors. That means you went out there and just cooked the, I guess, the second best team in your sport, and they couldn't do anything. Literally anything. Anything. That's nice. Bro. Still Jordan. Yeah. Still Jordan. Still Jordan. Man, he was massive. a year. He was a year. Technically, in year one, if you want to be technical, because he was still like a rookie technically based off the games, and his team was like thirty. Four and forty-eight, and they. I mean, he took the he averaged forty-five that series. Still Jordan, yes. PJ, still Jordan. Uh, it's tough for me, uh, especially like I said, uh, I get impressive as heck against the team that he was playing against for sure, and how young he was. But man, uh, you, you just educated me a little bit. A perfect game in the World Series. Okay, was that to close out? The series? Or no, no, but it got them. Okay. It got them back in there, and they would go on to win the World Series. See, and that's like. Mm, you were already down. Yeah, Jordan would have won a championship in 86. Back. Yeah. I think I might have to go with a perfect game. Let's I mean, go. That's, PJ's that's on the massive. Don Larson train. That's massive. I'm going it's Larson. difficult for me to cross sport like that, but like that is massive. It's on the biggest stage as well. Like you just said, like Jordan was obviously carrying that basketball team uh, at that point. But Larry Bird called the man God. I'll go with Jordan. That's one. <laughs> That's fair. We'll go to break. We'll come back with more on Second Down. Second Down on ESPN Radio. Nothing I like more than a surprise quiz. I had this planned, but then we just kind of went off on a, you know, tangent. Well, we do it tomorrow. Nope. There's like... We have two minutes. Oh, my gosh. Let's just see if we can get more here. Okay. We're just going to go through the NCAA transfer portal. Just because I wanted to refresh y'all's memory because we're going to talk about this tomorrow anyway. Refresh your memory. Where did Caleb Williams go? USC. USC. All right. Where did Quinn Ewers go? Texas? Texas? Uh-oh. What about Jackson Dart? Ole Miss. Ole Miss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fire. Eli Ricks. Alabama. Oh, Alabama. Jameer Gibbs. Alabama. Alabama, of course. Zach Evans. Zach Evans. Oh. Georgia? Nope. Oh, Alabama? No. <laughs> Where did he come from? Is. I don't know. Georgia's kind of right because he was committed to Georgia, but then he couldn't get in. That's and right. And then yeah, yeah, went to why. TCU, and now he's at? Auburn? Ole Miss. Ole Miss, yeah. Oh, that's the running back. Yeah. Mario Williams. Oh man, I'm starting to lose. We're talking names about now. the 
He got drafted by the Bills in like <laughs> yeah, 2004. Yeah. This man sounds like a wide receiver. Right? He is. He's absolutely a wide receiver. Yeah. He followed somebody somewhere. Oh, either Ole Miss or USC then. USC. All right. We all know where <laughs> Jermaine Burton went. Yep. I'm trying to see some. All right. <laughs> yeah. Spencer Rattler. Yeah, South Carolina. Oh, I South almost Carolina. say USC. The next great thing, South Carolina. Yeah. Dylan Gabriel. Whatever. Oh, uh, Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Jalil Billingsley. Texas? Texas? Yeah. What? You guys are on fire. Jaden Hazelwood. No. Oh, he transferred? Fire. Yeah. I don't know. From Ohio Oklahoma, State, too? I don't know. Ohio State? USC? No. Ole Miss? No, nah, closer. Closer than, closer to here? Closer to, Mississippi like, State? Actually, eh, close. Arkansas. Oh, okay. Arkansas. So we'll talk some, we'll talk about that tomorrow. Three announcements coming up next. BJ Bennett, Ben Troop, Kevin Thomas. No transfers there. They're still there. We'll talk to everyone.